The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 72, a psalm of Solomon. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations he shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days, the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him, Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth. On the top of the mountains, its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. We are in Numbers chapter 3 today. We're doing verses 40 through 51. This is entitled, The Redemption Money. Verse 40, then the Lord said to Moses, number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and take the number of their names and you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him. And all the firstborn males, according to the number of names from a month old and above of those who were numbered of them, were 22,273. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras. And you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons, 
So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. There's some gigantic, gigantic difficulties with some of the numbers found in the Bible. Some people simply ignore them. Some people have shunned the reliability of Scripture because of them. Many are complicated, and most will never even be considered by a general reader of the Bible. In some regards, the phrase, ignorance is bliss, fits in wonderfully with such things. Once you know that they're there, they can cause you to question your faith. But even if they don't do that, they can cause you to question your ability to understand what is going on. When I first met the Lord, I read the Bible a lot. Eventually, I started reading it with a calculator next to me. I would figure out how many years it was from the creation until whatever day was mentioned. I would figure out how many days old a person was at a certain point in his life if the number of his years were given. I would figure out how many days, weeks, and months or years it was between certain events. I would also try to figure out why the numbers recorded in numbers were given and what they meant. Today's passage became a giant headache for me because it contains numbers which are literally impossible to reconcile simply by the numbers given. Others have noticed this and have given their reasons for what they think is going on. Like all of the number-related problems in Scripture, none are without some type of explanation as to how to come to a reconciliation over what is said. As far as this passage and its problems, there are quite a few rather innovative explanations, but most still leave the numbers at impossible to reconcile amounts. I have found my own explanation, and I believe it is as good as any other to be found. Well, even better. It doesn't just resolve one numerical problem, but many of them, which have been seen, such as in Exodus, and others which will be seen and have been seen so far in the book of Numbers, and which will certainly rise again as we go on. My explanation could be completely wrong. But one thing I do know is that the Lord's word is without error at all. There is no error in the Lord's word. This is especially so with something so obvious as that which we will review today. The very fact that these numbers are here and that they cannot be what the surface text alone shows is correct, the more certain it is that this is exactly what the Lord intended for us to read. Now that may sound illogical, but the absolute perfection of what we have seen so far in his word, why would we assume anything less? The Lord didn't take a nap during Moses' numbering of the people in this chapter. In fact, as we will see, he was minutely concerned with every detail of the record. Our misunderstanding of God's word, or our inability to figure out what he is saying in his word, in no way negates the reliability of that same word. Let us have complete confidence in this. Our text verse comes from Psalm 49, it's verses 6 through 8. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever. The psalmist said that the redemption of one's soul is costly. Today, we will look at how the Lord set up things concerning those who would tend to the religious affairs of Israel. 
He has already called a high priest and established his line through his sons. He has said that he was calling the Levites to serve that priestly class. However, he has already set aside the firstborn of Israel for himself. In order to simplify this for all of Israel, he has taken the Levites in place of the firstborn. However, there needs to be a balancing out of the two in order to demonstrate his absolute integrity in the process. That will be realized in today's verses through a process of redemption money. The verses are short, they will go by very quickly, and they may seem unnecessary, but they are not. They are an integral part of establishing a highly organized structure for the maintenance of Israel's religious life. Think of it this way. If you needed a plumber because your sewer line was backed up inside your house, how would you feel if you went to call someone from a pool of workers and they sent the first person available regardless if he knew anything about plumbing or not? If there was no special class who were properly licensed and trained that we call plumbers, you might get somebody named Moronis Maximus, who had never worked on a single plumbing call in his entire life. And worse, you also need an appendectomy. And he is scheduled to do that as soon as he unplugs the sewer line. We'll hope that he washes his hands, okay? The whole concept is ridiculous. As this is so, how much more important are the matters which relate to the conduct of Israel's spiritual life, and thus its very existence? Do you wonder why the church is in such bad shape today? It's because there are people unschooled in the word uneducated in sound theology, and unprepared to dissect that which is of the highest value of all, and who then wrongly explain it to those who desperately need it in order to be sure of their eternal destiny. What God has placed here in Numbers is no longer tedious when you stop and say, this is the word of my creator revealing his plans and purposes for me. No matter how difficult some passages are, they are there as individual sections which form one grand whole. And cumulatively, they reveal an entire plan formed before the creation and carried out slowly and methodically for us to grasp his great and tender care of us now and even into eternity itself. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got just a couple thoughts for you today. The first is numbering the firstborn. It's verses 40 through 43. Verse 40, then the Lord said to Moses, the words, then the Lord said to Moses are correct. So far it is said that the Lord spoke to Moses in verses 1, 5, 11, and 14. It will say that again in verse 44. However, a different word translated as said is used here. And in fact, the word now translated as said is used for the first time in the book of Numbers. The difference was explained in the book of Leviticus, but it is worth repeating. The Hebrew words for spoke and said carry essentially the same thought of conveying a message. But spoke is more concise. One commentary says you use deber or spoke if you only need to tell people what to do. But amar, or said, if the task is so complex that it requires a partnership and people working together. There is the need for Moses to actually participate in the events of verses 40 through 43 to ensure that everything goes as it should and it comes out as the Lord now says. The difference in wording is slight, but it is still important to pay attention to these little details if one wants to properly follow the course of events in a logical fashion. 
If you remember, everything of the previous verses came together to form a beautiful picture for us. The Lord spoke out the instructions to ensure that this would come out exactly as he intended. The Lord now says, instead of speaks, for Moses to get involved more intimately in what he directs. In verses 1 through 4, the generations of Aaron and Moses were detailed. After that, verses 5 through 13 gave the duties and responsibilities of the Levites in regards to the tent of meeting, and that the Levites were taken from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn. This was followed by verses 14 through 39, which detailed the counting of the Levites from the various houses and families. The total of that counting, which we saw last week, equaled 22,300, but which surprisingly was recorded as 22,000 in verse 39 as we closed out those verses. The explanation for that was given, and what I proposed was that the entire counting was that some of the people in the countings of the people included the mixed multitude who had come out with Israel, minus the 300 of the native-born Levites who could not be counted against the whole because the firstborn already belonged to the Lord. The idea that the mixed multitude is included in these various census takings is not one that I know of as having been suggested by other scholars. But it seems it must be so because of the impossible numbers which lie ahead when today's verses are considered. There may be another explanation which is totally overlooked concerning this. But as far as I know, nothing else which is available can sufficiently rectify the situation concerning these numbers. Verse 40 continues, Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above. The Lord now changes the counting of the children of Israel. In the first census of verse 1-3, the total number to be counted apart from the tribe of Levi was from 20 years old and above. After that, in verse 3-15, all of the Levites from a month old and above were to be counted. Now, a new counting from the non-Levitical tribes is to be taken, which mirrors that of the counting of the Levites, in that it is from a month old and above. However, it is only a counting of the firstborn males. The reason for this goes back to what was said in verses 3, 12, and 13, where it said, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord." There must be a comparison between the number of Levites counted to the number of firstborn among the other Israelites. The reason for this is forthcoming, but it is both logical and it is necessary. Verse 40 continues, and take the number of their names. Reading the English, you get an odd sense of what is being said in this verse. We read, number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and take the number of their names. Actually, two different words are used, which are translated by the King James Version as number. The NIV makes a good distinction between the two. They say, count all the firstborn Israelite males who are a month old or more and make a list of their names. It just clears up what is otherwise a confusing translation by translators. Verse 41, and you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel. There is an emphasis here which was seen in verse 13 and which will again be seen in verse 45. 
In each instance, the Lord has spoken of the firstborn, and then he indicates that the Levites are taken in place of those firstborn. In each instance, he proclaims, Ani Yehovah, I am Yehovah. He redeemed Israel out of Egypt. He claimed the firstborn as his own at that time. And now in place of the firstborn, he claims the Levites as his own. Each time they are reminded that he is the Lord who redeemed them. It was solely at his will. And if he had not done so, they would have remained in bondage. They were his and he had the right to determine what he would do among them apart from their will or their choice. Verse 41 continues, and the livestock of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. The law of the firstborn was precisely detailed in Exodus chapter 13. I'm going to read it to you. It's a little bit long, but I want you to understand what's going on here. Chapter 13 of Exodus, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. In those verses, the firstborn of the animals were considered holy to the Lord, and certain things were to be done to them based on the type of animal. With that in mind, this verse now seems contradictory to what will later be said here in the book of Numbers. Here's what it says in Numbers 18, verse 17. But the firstborn of a cow, the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Here, it seems as if the firstborn of the livestock of Israel was not to be taken for sacrifice because the livestock of the Levites was taken in place of it. However, in chapter 18, the firstborn of the livestock are said to be sacrificed as the Lord's. There's no contradiction, though. This verse now is simply speaking of all of the animals which are alive at the time of the census. The Lord is taking them instead of the firstborn of the animals which belong to the people of Israel. However, all later firstborn at the time of chapter 18 and on will still belong to the Lord. The Lord is, at this time, granting flocks to the Levites as their own possession. As the Levites belonged to the Lord, then what they possessed also belonged to the Lord, and thus they would not need to be sacrificed. This is a one-time claim upon the flocks of the Levites in place of the firstborn of the flocks of the tribes of Israel. Where some scholars look to find error or contradiction here, we actually find a precept which, if not mentioned, would have left a giant void in our understanding of the system which is set up for the Levites as the Lord's ministers and who received their livelihood from their work for the Lord. Everybody got that? People are trying to find contradictions in the Bible and it's because they're not checking out what the Lord is trying to tell them. This is a really important precept which is being taught here because people come and they'll try to question your faith about it when there's no contradiction at all. 
Verse 42, so Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel. This is the number of firstborn who are from one month old and above from among the children of Israel. Nothing is said beyond this, such as since they left Egypt or anything such as that. It is a tally of the children of Israel's firstborn. What number should Moses arrive at? We know that he obeyed the command, and we know that he did as stated because of the next words, verse 42 continues, as the Lord commanded him. The Lord directed, and Moses did as the Lord directed. What is the result then? Verse 43, and all the firstborn males, according to the number of names from a month old and above, of those who were numbered of them were 22,273. The impossibility of this number stems from the number of those counted in chapter 1 in the census of the tribes. The total arrived at was 603,550 men, 20 and above, who were prepared for war. If there were 22,273 firstborn in Israel and only those in the census were counted, the ratio would be 27.09 children for every firstborn. That would be a bunch of really productive women and a lot of mouths to feed in every house. But this is only a ratio based on those males 20 and above. If the total number were figured, say, only three times that because of those 19 and younger and all the women who are not counted, the total number of people might be 1,810,650 people. Dividing that by 22,273 would be an average family size of 81.29 per firstborn. That would be some hugely productive ladies. And that is still figuring a low number. The congregation would probably be closer to 3 million. If correct, the women would be born pregnant and would have a baby every single year of their 100-year-old lives. Oh, washing diapers would take on a whole new meaning. I was practicing this, and Hedika walked by, heard me say that, and she laughed. Oh, it was so cute. Because of this obvious problem, some have tried to say that the number of firstborn must only be those who were born since the time of the Exodus. That's one of the explanations. But that's wrong for two reasons. First, nothing is said about that. And secondly, that would then not correspond to the number of Levites, all of whom were counted, not just those born since the Exodus. It is for this reason that the logical conclusion is that the census of the firstborn is only speaking of those who were firstborn of native Israelites, not of the mixed multitude who came out with Egypt and who were counted in the mustering of the 12 tribes for war in chapter 1. Excuse me. In taking this into consideration, it would reduce the number of actual Israelites down to a reasonable number for their 215-year stay in Egypt from the original 70 that were recorded. I brought that up a couple times. Scholars say, well, only 70 came down to Egypt, and now there's 3 million people leaving. That's not possible. Well, that's because it didn't happen that way. The mixed multitude is recorded as coming out with them. But guess what? As I said last week while we were taking communion... They're never mentioned again. They're not mentioned later in the wilderness wanderings. They're not mentioned as being a mixed multitude going into Canaan, and thus they were assimilated into the body of the people of Israel. It explains all of the numerical difficulties. But I got to tell you what, when I first read this, I hadn't thought of the mixed multitude at the time. And I read some commentaries, and it bothered me because I had sat there and I knew the ratio, 27.01 per family. And I said, that's not possible. 
And I thought, you know, what do I do? So I emailed a Jewish guy that has a ministry, and he came back and he said, well, that discounts the productivity of Jewish women. And I said, no, no, that's a poor excuse there. Anyway, so after thinking about it, after reading the Bible countless times, all of a sudden it makes sense when you realize the mixed multitude are mentioned, the number coming out is impossible unless you have a mixed multitude, and then they're not mentioned going in, but they're a collective group of people. Why? Because of Exodus chapter 12, which tells you, maybe it's chapter 13, how to become a native-born Israelite. Even if you're not native-born, you participate in the Passover, you get yourself circumcised, and you are reckoned as a native-born. And that is what happened here, and it resolves these problems. Okay? Why is it important to have such an explanation? Because only an idiot would compile such a record with such obvious impossibilities without there being a reasonable explanation for them. Moses was no idiot, nor were those who faithfully retained the writings of Moses for thousands of years, while maybe not understanding why these numbers didn't make any sense. Whether this is the correct reason or not, it does explain much concerning what are otherwise very complicated listings in both Exodus and in Numbers. The lamb has taken my place. His life was given instead of mine. But because of this, I can look upon God's face in a heavenly land ever so sublime. What a cost, what a high price indeed that God would pay with the lamb's shed blood. Oh God, from the foundation of the earth, it was decreed that I would be a part of that cleansing flood. Redeemed, saved, and on the heavenly highway where that lamb I shall finally see. Through his death, my pardon, he did pay, and through the resurrection, there is joy eternally. Our second thought today is the redemption money. It's verses 44 through 51. Verse 44, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, a new section is now introduced with these words. The more common word spoke is once again used. Moses is given commands that are simply to be carried out without the complications of the previous short section we just went through. Verse 45, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. This is in accord with verse 41, and it will be according to the number of those counted and recorded in verse 43. It is noticeable that the number of firstborn of the livestock are not given. Rather than trying to determine that which only the Lord himself could actually determine, he simply equates the firstborn of the livestock of Israel to the total number of livestock of the Levites. Each verse carefully and methodically builds upon the next. One step at a time has been taken to accomplish a task which is obviously extremely important to the Lord. Precision is necessary because, verse 45 continues, the Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. Again, the Lord makes his proclamation. He has redeemed Israel and claimed their firstborn at that time, whereas he had killed the firstborn of Egypt. In that act, he had made a distinction between Israel and Egypt. From that time on, the firstborn was to be set apart to reflect this distinction. Now, in order to provide a cohesion between the people of Israel based on a single religion ministered by a single group of people from within the body, he claimed the Levites as his own. Levi means attached, and that gives the sense of adhesion. It is they who will provide adhesion between the various parts and adhesion between the Lord and them. He is determined, and as he says, Ani Yehovah, I am Yehovah. Verse 46, and for the firstborn of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, a new word in scripture is seen here. Hadui, 
that is a noun which speaks of a ransom for those who are redeemed. It's going to be seen four times before the end of this chapter and never again. Here in this verse, we have the disparity between the counting of the firstborn and the census of the Levites. There were actually 22,300 Levites counted, but there are 22,000 who are considered in the numbering, as explained in the previous sermon. In our verses today, there were 22,273 firstborn counted. That leaves a difference of 273, which must be accounted for before the Lord. The Lord will now explain how the difference is to be handled. Verse 47, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. Nothing is said of who this was required from or how it was to be acquired. Albert Barnes surmises that it would be extracted from the parents of the youngest children, they being the last born. And so they would be the extra over and above the Levites that existed. Jewish tradition says that the names of 22,000 Levites were written on slips of paper along with 273 receipts which said five shekels. From there, all who drew the five shekels had to pay a fine. As Adam Clark correctly states about that, he says it is a stupid and silly tale for such a mode of settlement could never have been resorted to by an intelligent people. In other words, he's saying that the Jewish tradition is just dumb. And I agree with that. About 90% of the time I read Jewish commentaries. So when somebody says, well, Jewish commentary says or Jewish tradition says, you can almost always just blow it off. Okay? They're not the specialists that we think that they are and that people claim that they are. And if you put them in that category, then you've made a fundamental error because they are the ones that missed Jesus, okay? All of their commentaries are based on that premise. They have missed Jesus, and they will not comment on something that will bring you to a state of understanding Jesus. There are good Jewish commentaries. I will cite them from time to time, very insightful things, but usually you'll get something like this. However the difference was collected, it would have totaled 1,365 shekels of silver. That silver was to be evaluated against a known standard. Verse 47 continues, You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary. There was a standard by which all others would be compared. This was to ensure that nobody would cheat another or be cheated by another. Beshekel HaKodesh, or the shekel of the sanctuary, or even more literally, the shekel, the holy, was that standard. And it was based on an even more precise standard. Verse 47 continues, the shekel of 20 geras. The shekel is defined as 20 geras. Gera comes from garar, which means to drag away. The gera means literally a bean or a kernel, which is round, as if scraped. When you scrape something, it gets round as you're scraping it. That's the idea that you get there. This is the same idea as our use of grain when speaking of money, gunpowder, and so on. The reason for including this statement is to ensure that the sanctuary shekel, which was the standard, was to be used, and the silver was to be according to that 20 gera standard. The number 20 in scripture signifies expectancy. There was always to be the expectancy that the shekel used was appropriate to the standard. And you shall, verse 48, give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. Everything here follows logically. The priesthood had been given to Aaron and his sons. The Levites had been given to them to assist in the service of the sanctuary in the place of the firstborn. As there was a deficiency between the Levites in relation to the firstborn of Israel, there must be a fair redemption value paid for them from Israel to make up that deficiency. 
that is to be paid not to the Levites, but to Aaron and his sons to whom the Levites were given. Everybody got that? It's very precise what is going on. Just reading these verses for one's daily Bible reading may be dry. It may be mind-numbing. However, when they are considered as they should be, they are astonishingly precise and carefully laid out. Not a single gera, one-twentieth of a shekel is missing from the redemption process because the redemption money is compared to the exacting holy standard. What we are reading here is a carefully detailed account of redemption which shows exacting precision. If this much care and detail has been provided for what we are reading here, even to the smallest grain of silver, how much more comforted should we be then to the fact that God has put the same exacting care and precision into our redemption? The chances of one redeemed by the Lord being lost are greater than the chances of God ending the existence of the universe itself. It is unimaginable that he would err in what he determined before he spoke a single atom into existence. John Lang says of this redemption money, Money cannot measure the value of spiritual things, but it can express that they have value. It cannot pay the debt we owe to God, but it can express that we do owe him much. Five shekels paid under the conditions here specified could express that the payer owed himself to God's service and that the payee accepted the position of substitute. Everything is pointing to your redemption, which is found in Jesus Christ. There is a debt it must be paid down to the finest, minutest gera. He was worried about that silver for the picture that he was making in Jesus Christ. You will never be lost if you are the redeemed of the Lord. No matter how bad things get, no matter how difficult things are, you are the redeemed of the Lord, and he will never, ever forsake you. That's the lesson that we're to be given from this minutely exacting standard of the shekel. As the number five in the Bible signifies grace, and as 20 signifies expectancy, then there is the expectancy of grace pictured in each act of redemption. We do owe a debt to God, and it is a great debt, but Christ paid that debt in our stead. That is explicitly stated by Peter in the most moving way from 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Whereas those in Israel were redeemed with silver, we have been redeemed in a far more precious way, a way which the silver only pictured. The blood of Christ is what brought us to where we are in Christ, and it is what will ensure we remain in him for all eternity. Verse 49, so Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. Again, as stated earlier, it isn't known how Moses obtained this or from who it was obtained. All we have is the statement that it was accomplished. As Moses is specifically named here, rather than simply saying he, it is certain that we are being shown, as at times before, that Moses is the Lord's instrument of redemption. Moses, or he who draws out, is specifically the one to draw out those over and above the Levites in order to obtain the money of their redemption. 
22,000 had been redeemed by a Levite, meaning they had been freed from the redemption price by a Levite, but 273 had not. It is they who are noted here in order to ensure full redemption is realized. In this verse, we have a word which is used for the very last time in the Bible, adaf, meaning excess. It is that which is over and above. The first time it was seen was in Exodus chapter 16 when it was found that those who gathered the manna had nothing left over, even though some gathered much and some gathered little. Now, after nine uses, it is retired. Any further uses of it would be over and above what the Lord determined for his perfect word. I'm glad somebody laughed at that. That was my little pun there. Verse 50, from the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. These words show that the money is definitely applied to the firstborn. The word used can be translated as of, from, or even for. Whether it was obtained from the youngest, from a lottery, or from a general fund, Moses obtained it, he obtained the full amount, and he obtained it according to the set standard. Verse 51, and Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord. The redemption money, drawn out by Moses from the excess of the firstborn of Israel, is now passed on to Aaron and his sons, as was spoken out by the Lord. Not a single grain was left unattended to, and the full redemption of the firstborn was realized. From this time forward, the Levites would stand in place of the firstborn in Israel for the particular purposes which the Lord had called them. For those who are the Lord's, every detail is perfectly met, and nothing is overlooked concerning their redemption. We don't just have a hope in Christ, we have a sure and blessed hope in Christ. In the words of this verse is the last use of the term padui, or the ransom for those who are redeemed. It was introduced into verse 46, and it goes out along with the chapter, never to be used again. Verse 51 finishes with, as the Lord commanded Moses. As has been seen at other times with matters of the utmost importance, these words conclude the chapter. It shows faithful and full commitment to the word of the Lord. He directed, and Moses did as commanded. Not a word of the Lord was allowed to fall through the entire process of numbering the tribes, arranging them according to the armies, setting aside the Levites, counting the Levites, and taking the Levites in place of the firstborn of Israel. Everything necessary to establish them and bring them near through his set guidelines has been faithfully tended to. It was good news for Israel, and there is good news for us based on what we have read today. The Levites were selected to minister before the Lord concerning the law of Moses. It was a law which was good, so we know. But sin through the law produced death. This isn't just a possibility. It is a universal fact. By law is the knowledge of sin, and the wages of sin <laughs> is death. However, the law didn't just bring death to the sinful. It brought death to all, including the sinless one. Not because he sinned but because only through his sinless death in fulfillment of the law could we be forgiven of our sins. Everybody understand the importance of what I said at the beginning of the Prophecy Update today? If those feasts of the Lord are not fulfilled, then what we're talking about in Christ right now means nothing. Neither he is the fulfillment of the law or he is not. I feel so bad for these people that watch these stupid Prophecy Updates again and again and again that keep repeating these false lies these false things about the law of Moses. It is done, people. The law truly and honestly brought death to all. However, through law has also come life. 
because Christ died in fulfillment of the law, not sinning under it. The law is annulled through him. And because he died without sin, he rose again. With the law annulled through him, he can no longer die. For those who accept this premise and who by faith receive the work of the Lord, we are imputed the righteousness of Christ. In God's eyes, it is as if we have perfectly lived out this same law that once brought death. As you can see, though the Levites ministered under a law which brought death to us because of sin's power, they also ministered under a law which, when properly understood and rightly lived out, would destroy the exact same power of sin leading to death. The selection of the Levites to minister before the Lord is that important. Their ministrations kept the gears functioning properly until Christ would come and accomplish his marvelous work for us. Let us remember this as we read the Bible. Everything written is so penned to lead us to him, our glorious Jesus. Okay, it was a lot of difficult verses getting through chapters 1 through 3, wasn't it? But every single detail of that is there for a specific purpose. You saw all of the things that we talked about and all of the pictures of Christ. You saw how they were laid out last week in the form of a cross. We saw the redemption of the people after the taking of the Levites. Every single thing is logically being built up one upon another. Now, the reason why this is important, and I think I said this previously to you, or I may have said it during a Bible class, is that a lot of people will start reading the book of Numbers. They've gotten through Genesis, which is always great. I mean, you know, it's got stories, and it's just interesting, and then you get to Exodus, and it's got the same things. It's got all kinds of fun stuff there, you know, and then it starts to get a little dry because he repeats everything, and you think, why is he repeating? You know, he said, build a tabernacle, and he gives all this minute instruction, and then it turns around and says that now they got it, and they did all of this stuff, and I mean, it just keeps repeating. You think, why is he doing that? Well, that's okay. I'll go on. It'll be exciting like Genesis in a minute, and they get to Leviticus, and their eyes start blurring over, but they say, well, I'll, I'll keep reading. Some people quit in Leviticus. I had an old boss that did, and I don't think she's ever picked up since then. But then you get to Numbers, and now you're in a third book where things are really tedious, and you get up to Numbers chapter 7, which I mentioned last week, and you quit reading. When, in fact, every single detail that we are looking at here in the book of Numbers, every detail of it is very important, even down to the minutest gera of a shekel. It's picturing something else. It's picturing God's love for the people of the world in our redemption, in our salvation, in our future glorification. It's all there. So when you get to these chapters and verses in the future, I hope that you'll say, this really has purpose. It really means something, okay? And if, if you just get to the point where I say, I just can't read right now, do what I said earlier in the sermon, because I do this a lot. When I read the Bible at night, I'll stop and I'll say, this is the word of the creator. The one who created me gave us this word. And I readjust myself because of that, thinking that he gave me this word. It's not just something that's written, it's that he gave this to me. And all of a sudden, my Bible reading becomes important again, okay? Have that attitude. And call on Jesus. I kind of gave a salvation call these last couple paragraphs, but the ultimate point of our being here in church is to get people to understand that they need Jesus Christ, that he is the fix to the sin problem. And without calling on him, you will not be in God's presence. You'll be going to a different place. So please, call on Jesus Christ. Our closing verse comes from Ephesians chapter 1. It's verses 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. You can see that the silver pictures the blood of Christ, the redemption in his blood, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. The redemption that we saw today is a picture of the redemption that we realize in Jesus Christ. Next week is Numbers 4, 1 through 20. What we should always direct our eyes toward, the holiness of the Lord. That'll be our seventh number sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert, wandering aimlessly. I was talking to somebody just about 30, 40 minutes ago about being in a desert and walking aimlessly. And it may seem that way, but the Lord is there, carefully leading you to the land of promise. So follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Here we go. Poem called The Levites Shall Be Mine. Then the Lord said to Moses, Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above, and take the number of their names. So to you I tell. And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel. And the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel as well. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded him, as the Lord to him did tell. And all the firstborn males, according to the number of names from a month old and above, so we see, of those who are numbered of them were 22,273. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, these are the words he was then relaying. Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord, so to you I do tell. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall do as I now tell. You shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekels of 20 geras as directed by me. And you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. This is appropriate as I have so deemed. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. So he took it from those thereof. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money you see. 1,365 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, as the Lord did say, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses that day. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives, they would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to lift up the people that are in need of being lifted up. And we certainly have Darla on our mind today. She's having real difficulties with her hip, and we know that you can heal her if it's your will. And of course, you may choose to withhold that and let the doctors do it. But one way or another, we would pray that you would be with her, get her healed and get her back on her legs so that she can run and sprint around the house chasing her puppy and, and her husband. And Lord, we certainly pray for our president, 
We pray that you will give him strength in the week ahead to endure the attacks which continuously come his way. We pray for our governor, thanking you for him and his service to our state. And we would pray that if it's your will, that he would be elected on to the Senate in the uh, months to come. And Lord, we just commit the Lord's Supper to you, knowing that we're unworthy to take it, but you've offered it to us because you are a loving God and you sent your son to take our place in this process of redemption. He died so that we could be redeemed. And so, Lord, we do commit this to you and we remember his work when we take it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.